I guess during the holidays, Thanksgiving, we uh, get some folks who are visiting us, and I, I noticed a couple, and uh, the Clarks, I'm glad to see them here from way off in Tennessee, and then we find the Lucases have come back from all the way from Germany, so welcome back. I don't know how to say that in German, uh, but uh, you're, you're, we're glad to, to see you again today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read that in a few moments, part of that uh, in a few moments. But the, the topic that's been assigned to me is on the screen there, God's authority and victory over the spiritual realms. And as I thought about that, it's, it's really that sums up the, the message of the Bible in a lot of ways. I guess we could, you could sum up the message of the Bible in many ways. But this is just one way, God's authority and victory over the spiritual realms. And so in 1 John, for instance, God is light, and there in Him there is no darkness at all. That's, uh, that's an example of God's uh, authority and His victory. Um, uh, Revelation uh, chapter 4 and 5, God sits on the throne. He rules absolutely. Romans chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit of life has set us free from the, uh, from the law and death. Romans 6, because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we are now alive in Christ as we have participated in His life, death, and resurrection. And so all these topics that we've touched on in the past, in the past series, all point to this God's victory and authority over the spiritual realms. And so I want to take a few minutes really to answer one question and to give an application. And the first one is, what is the spiritual realms? And then we'll look at an application to that. If God has defeated death and sin, how am I going to live my daily life? If God really has authority and victory over the spiritual realms, then how, how do I live my life today, tomorrow? The rest of my life. And so we come to this, this word, spiritual realms, and maybe, maybe I don't have the right software on my computer. I don't have much software on my computer. So I went to my books. The, those two words together, I don't even know if that's a phrase, spiritual realms, a descriptive phrase or whatever, uh, is not in the Bible. Uh, I look for it, I can't find spiritual realms. But we talk about it all the time. And the closest that we, I mean, the closest that we that I can find to that is this word. These words, the heavenly realms, that's found in Ephesians five times. Now, don't get bent out of shape. The concept of a spiritual realm is in the Bible. All right, I'm just saying those words together aren't in in the New Testament. And so the concept of of it, like in in the Gospel of John and First John. John talks about uh, being in the world and yet not of it. He talks about abiding in Christ. And so we can see this, this contrast, this concept of spiritual world. Um, it's not about a place that we go to someday. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about going into the heavenly realms, going into heaven and being with God. And right here, we're not there. You know, we're, one day we'll, we'll go there. There's no connection in our lives right now. And it's not even limited to the spiritual 
place where demons and angels and God and the seraphim exist. So it's not limited to that place also uh, either. Uh, in fact, I have the verses up there on the screen. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, it talks about us presently being in this place that is called the heavenly realms. And he has seated us with him, past tense, but it's saying he's done it. So we are in, currently in the heavenly realms. This is where Christians currently reside. It's an unseen world, it's, um, it's, but it's, it's, it's what really matters right now and in the future. There is a reality, there's a realm, there's a place, we could say, that we don't physically see with our physical eyes, but it's truly true. It's real reality. It, it, it is the, it's realer I know that's not a word. It's realer than our physical reality. And we're going to examine that today. We're, we're connected right now to physical things, a finite, finite reality. Um, everything around us is transitory. It's, it's temporary. Our bodies, these chairs, this building, it's just, this is in the sense that it's going to wear out, that it's not going to be here one day. It is not real. And yet we look at this and say, this is real. And that what I'm feeling right now is real. And the scriptures tell us there is a greater reality than that physical reality that we want to look at. The, the heavenly realms is our present real reality. That when we see it by faith, when we see it with our spiritual lives, eyes, we're going to live a whole different life. Paul says in verse 18 of chapter 1, I, I pray that your eyes will open up. I pray that the, your heart eyes will be able to see and to know this hope. That you'll really know the real reality of the heavenly realms. It's, the, it's this unseen world. It truly matters. It truly matters right now. And it truly matters forever. And really what it's, it boils down to, it, 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 uh, it, it's the ability to see things in, in life, see our circumstances, see things through a spiritual reality with spiritual eyes, and to think that way. How do you think? Are you thinking spiritually or are you thinking physically? We live in a physical world, we use physical things, we enjoy physical pleasures, all the while not being overtaken by them. Because we live in this spiritual, this heavenly realm. We live in the heavenly realms with a heavenly citizenship. The Bible talks about our heavenly citizenship. We enjoy spiritual blessings while using them in this physical world. And so there is this tension in our, li in our lives. Yes, I live. I'm living here in this world with my particular problems and with my particular job and my particular things that are going on in my life. Yes, I live. And yet it's not me living. It's Christ who is living in me. And so this reality really came into power uh, in our lives, in the Christians' lives, when Jesus conquered sin and death in His death and resurrection. 2,000 years ago, Christ came. He died. He was resurrected from the dead. 
And that's really when this heavenly realm reality took on power in people's lives and has that power right now. So in Hebrews, the writer sums it up in one way here in, in chapter 2. He says, for he, for Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. That's good news, folks. He says he, he came so that by his own death he's going to destroy the devil, the power of, of Satan. And then free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so we have things that we can't, we can't handle by ourselves. Our sin problem, our death problem, we cannot handle by ourselves. And he said, God came, Jesus came, so that we could be free from, that, from, from, uh, from our fear of death. To, to help us understand this, I want to take you into the city of Ephesus. The book of Ephesians was written to the, the Ephesus, to the city of Ephesus. And if there was one word that would describe this city in the first century, it was power. And if you'll read through the whole book of Ephesians, you're, you're going to see power words all through Ephesians. Uh, Ephesus was the New York City of its day. It was probably the third largest city. It was centered in power. Economic power, political power, religious power, social power, all was right there in that city. And when you walk in the ruins today, you can, you can have that sense, you can have, feel that sense of power that, is, that's, that was as a residual feeling of, of uh, power, but it's, you can still feel that power there. Uh, you entered from the east uh, by a road that was almost 2,000 miles long from Persia, uh, stretched from Persia all the way to Ephesus. And it was like all the, the trade, it was a trade, major trade route, all the uh, cities along the route would put their commerce and they would head toward Ephesus. And that's many times was where they were uh, going to. On the west, there, is a, there was a port. The city, the city lies about three miles away from the ocean, but that road that you see there is called Harbor Street. And at the end of that, where the plains are now, there was a harbor. They dug it out, I guess, with their hands, hands and hand tools. They dug that out and, and created a channel that came into right to that point. So all the com commerce from the west was coming in. All the power and strength from the west was coming in uh, to, the, to that port city. If you walk through the city, you'd see the, the Temple of Domitian was one of the temples. A huge statue. You can still see part of it in the museum today. Huge statue to Domitian. And uh, it, it, the marketplace, which you see on the bottom left there, that's Agora, the marketplace. To enter into that place, you put a pinch of uh, incense and you said uh, Domitian is Lord or Caesar is Lord to enter that. The power and the working of the market, marketplace was there. His coin, one of his coins, you see it there, declared him to be Lord and God. You spent money that said Lord and God to Domitian. He's sitting there on top of the world with his arms outstretched, holding up the stars around him. That's how he depicted himself. And so you see this power uh, through uh, money and commerce. Uh, right outside the city was the, one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. Huge building, beautiful, they said. And every day there was some kind of worship going on to Artemis, the religious power of its day. 
And so to walk through Ephesus was to walk through a display of power in every form that would literally take your breath away. And if you were a Christian, it would take your focus away from God and Christ if you weren't careful. So throughout Ephesians, Paul continues to use these power words, might, strength, glory, dominion, saying Christ, not Artemis, has true power. Christ, not Domitian, has real glory. Christ, not the marketplace, has the real energy to fulfill all our needs. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17 through the rest of the chapter, Paul says in a prayer, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The glorious riches of, uh, uh, the glor- the, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that has been given, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And so He's just just gushing out. I want you to think about the glory and the power and the strength of Christ. Not about this city that you're walking through here. And so Paul is saying here, this power in these verses, it raised Jesus from the dead. That's the kind of power we're talking about. It seated him at the right hand of God. It makes him superior or more powerful than any other power or thing or event or circumstance or situation. It placed him at the head of the church, guiding the guiding force of the church. It makes makes the church full of the same power. And that's amazing. We, the church, has have this same power. This is the real reality. This is the spiritual realms. This is the heavenly realms. It's a place that we call heavenly realms. It is it's where we live. This is where we're living our lives in the power of God. And the powers of the world that persecute is temporary. Political might is passing. Economic strength is fleeting. Real power is in Christ, and that real power is demonstrated the way you live your life. That's the demonstration of, your, of the power. Can you, can we, and it's a rhetorical question, the answer is not hardly, the answer is hardly. Can you, can you grasp what God has done for you? Can you know and believe all the things that the book of Ephesians and the Scriptures tell you about yourself? And that's what Paul's prayer is. I pray that you'll just open your eyes, the heart eyes that you have, so that you can see these things. It includes everything that God has done for us in the past. It includes everything God's doing for you right now. It includes everything that's going to happen in the future.
And so I sum it up in my paraphrase this way, the same verses. And what is this but a greater greatness beyond greatness of the inherent power of God? This power is directed toward those who faith walk. This power comes by the way of his energetic accomplishments and the absolute might of his able strength to overcome any immediate threat or circumstance. This is demonstrated to prove that he can mightily work in your life when he raised Jesus from the dead. God's mighty strength placed Christ in a mighty place, seated at his right hand in the reality of the heavenly realms. Christ's position is greatly higher than anything over all kings, over principal positions, over anything and anyone that bears authoritative rule or any natural power or anything that would dominate and force allegiance over every name that declares itself a high status. And not only now as we live on this earth, but this is forever, right into the future reality that is coming. And God placed everything so far below him that we could say they could only be seen if he lifts his feet. He is the guiding force, the principal mind over everything for those called out of the world and into what we call his body. He is the super abundance filling us all to our fullest capacity. So I want you to know the heavenly realms, the spiritual realms, isn't something over there. Isn't something where angels are. Isn't just something out there. It's not abstract, but it's where you're living in his power right now. That's the spiritual realms. That's the heavenly realms. So how do we apply this? How do we make application here? If this is true, how are we to live? You know, it's one thing to think of the power of God and say, amen, that's great, that's wonderful. I glory in that. But it's quite another thing to apply it to your life personally, today. It's quite another thing to believe that Christ has all power and His power, and his, and his power is infused in your life and so that you begin making changes right here in your life. It's a whole different ballgame. And it really comes down to a choice. And I'm preaching to myself as much as to you, am I going to live by faith or am I going to live by sight? That's where it really boils down. Because just like walking through Ephesus, all these distractions, the beauty of that city, the power of that city, the economic strength of that city can be so distracting, the power of Huntsville, the politics of Huntsville, the strength and the might of our economic system here, NASA, all the big stuff can be totally distracting from the way we live our lives. It really comes down to this choice. Am I going to live by sight and let all these things distract us? And the biggest distraction, I'm convinced, is your television and your smartphone. The power of the media and the power of the social media. Totally distracting. And if I could urge us all to limit something in our lives, it would be those two things. 
Turn them off for a week. Turn them off for a month. Turn them off for a day. Turn it off for an hour. <laughs> Whatever. The power of the media is totally distracting. Are we going to live by faith as we live in this world? Are we going to live by the words of Jesus or the words of ABC? CBS, whoever. That really is it. And so we come to this story in Mark chapter 4 that was read by Benjamin earlier. And I'm going to retell the story. It's been read. And we'll apply the spiritual realm with this story. And so in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been preaching. And he, he's on a ship, on a little boat, away from the shore because people were crowding around. And when he's finished, he tells the disciples, all right, let's push off, let's, let's go, let's go to the other side. And they take off, they have row, oars, and they start rowing, and maybe put up the sail. It says some other boats followed along. And Jesus lay down on a cushion, and he falls into a deep, deep sleep. Believe it or not, but preaching wears you out. Did for Jesus that day. And the text then says in the NIV, a furious squall came up. And that's a good description. I've, I've been in a furious squall in the middle of an ocean on more than one occasion. But it doesn't really, it doesn't give you the, the feeling of what Mark actually wrote there, the word that Mark actually wrote there. The, the word storm or uh, squall comes up from a really nice Greek word, lalats. <laughs> That's a nice word, isn't it? But listen how someone described this word, some scholar described this word. Lalats is never a single gust, nor a steadily blowing wind, however violent. Not even a strong blowing wind. But a storm breaking forth from black thunderclouds in furious gulfs with floods of rain and throwing everything topsy-turvy. Aristotle defined words and he said it's like a, it's a whirlwind from up, from down to up. We'd say a tornado. These guys are in the middle of a tornado. And then add to that, Mark says this, it was a great relapse. It wasn't just a tornado. It wasn't just a storm. It wasn't just this black thunderclouds and the you know all the things that were going on there. But it was great. It was a big one. You see, we have hurricanes, and then we have Hurricane Katrina. We have tornadoes, and then we have F4s, like the one that went through Airport Boulevard in '89 and wiped out most of Airport Boulevard. This wasn't just the storm. This wasn't just a big storm. This was the great storm. And they're right in the middle of the ocean and the big, the, the great waves, uh, the great uh, lake there. And further, the water is coming over the gunnels. It's just pouring over. It's filling up the boat. I've been in a boat where it was around my ankles and I, I have a coconut shell and I'm I'm, I'm pulling out the water as quick as I can. It's just around my ankles. But this is bathtub full of water. This boat is filled with water. And it's just coming over. And they're about to sink there. 
And Jesus is asleep. Some of you can't imagine being that deep in the sleep. I know of some people who literally can sleep that deep. The Fijians have that talent. I'm not kidding. They can, when they fall asleep, they fall asleep. And they're in a deep sleep. And you think they're, they're here and you think, oh, we're making a lot of noise. They're, they're pretending they're asleep. No, they can sleep. And Jesus was asleep. And his disciples were at this point in their lives that they're in despair. They wake up Jesus. You know they're screaming over the, the, the noise of the ocean and the water coming in. And they say, teacher, don't you care that, we're, that we drown? And literally it says, don't you care that we're being destroyed? And this is utter destruction. This isn't, isn't being hurt. This is an utter destruction. Don't you care that we're about to lose our lives? And it says Jesus got up. I assume he's holding on to something. And I imagine him kind of wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And he looks out over this raging, raging water. He says, Siopa, quiet, pafissimo, which means literally put a muzzle on it. And the ocean dies down. Mark says it abated. abated. And this word gives the, the picture of someone who has been furious and yelling and screaming and goes into a corner and just sits there quietly. This screaming, yelling, raging, angry storm. Guy quiet. And Mark says the sea wasn't just calm. But the same word he said, a great storm, he said, a great calm. It's quiet. There are no birds flying over, calling out. There's not a puff of wind. The sea is not even lapping against the hull of the boat. If one of the disciples moved, maybe the water slushes a little bit or an oar bangs up against the side. Dull, a dull thud against the side. That's all you hear. It's absolutely quiet. And can you see the Lord turning from the ocean and looking back over His disciples? And he asked this question. Why are you so afraid? And I noticed he didn't say, why were you so afraid? He says, why are you so afraid? And for once, Peter had the good graces not to say anything. They might have been thinking, as water is still dripping off their faces and their hair, if they had any, is just all over the place. And their clothes are soaked and they're sitting in, the, in a bathtub full of water, this boat filled with water. Why am I so afraid? There was a storm, Jesus. This was the biggest storm of the, that we've ever seen. 
And maybe the reason they didn't say anything is because the word he used was very offensive. The word he used wasn't the usual word afraid. You all know Greek, some Greek words. You know this Greek word. It's used 146 times in the Bible, New Testament. You use it, you probably, some of you used it this week. You have a phobia? You have a phobia? He has a phobia, she has a phobia. I have a phobia applying. That's the word, phobus, phobia. Jesus didn't say, why are you so phobia? He didn't use that word. He used a total different word. He said, why are you such cowards? Why are you so cowardly? That's offensive. And this is my question and application. We sang a song, one of our last songs, talked about Jesus being over all things. If He's Lord of all things, we sing songs like that and songs like, You are Lord of creation, Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the seas. Why are you such cowards? And don't get mad at me. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Why are you such cowards? If God has the victory over the spiritual realms, why are you such cowards? If He was raised from the dead and He's seated at the right hand of God, and he's superior and more powerful than any other power or event or circumstance, and he's leading and guiding his body, and he has filled you with that power, then why act the coward? Do you still have no faith? That's what Jesus said. Why are you acting cowardly? Do you still have no faith? But Alan, you don't know my life. You don't know. You don't understand me. You haven't walked in my shoes. You don't know what I've gone through. My world is crumbling. My boat is sinking. The world is topsy-turvy. I'm at the end of my ropes. My enemies are crashing down on me. I can't sleep. I'm in trouble. I'm about to die. And you would do the same thing if you were in my place. Don't judge me. And Jesus said, why are you such a coward? Do you really not believe I'm in charge of everything? Do you really not believe that I'm at the right hand of God and that I am over your life, I am the Lord of your life, and that even if you sunk in that boat, it's going to be okay? Why are you such cowards? I told you it was used more than three other times. John fourteen twenty seven. we love this. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. We like that verse. John 14, 6, 26, 27. This is what it really means. Do not let your hearts be agitated, perplexed, all topsy-turvy. Don't let it. And do not allow yourself to be fear-driven and to be cowardly. Don't let yourself be that way. That's what Jesus is saying. I can't help myself. You just call Jesus a liar. Jesus said, don't do that. And we say, but I can't help myself. Don't do it. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, on and on, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Second Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. That's not your spirit, Christians. That's not your spirit. Why are you acting that way? He didn't give you that spirit. Our fear exposes our lack of faith. And our faith would dispose our fear. So you ask, well, how do I not act the coward? How do I not do that? Here's a, here's a dozen sermons in a single sentence. It's where and on whom you place your faith. Where's your faith? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the powers around you? Are you looking at the storm in your life? Are you looking at the water coming into the boat? Are you looking that you're about, you're about to die? Are you looking at that? Or are you looking at Christ who has all power and authority? Romans 8. No. In all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you convinced? 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Three years ago, my dad died. Two days or so before he died, my mother sat by me. She said, should I tell your dad it's okay? It's okay to die? I said, yeah, I think it's a good idea. So she went to him, sat by him. They talked. She's like, everything's okay. Alan's going to take care of me. <laughs> Claudia's going to take care of me. Everything's fine. You don't have to hang on. She talked for a little. He listened. Everything was fine. Then she asked this question. Are you afraid? My dad looked at her like, I, you know, one of those like, what in the world are you talking about? I literally, he looked at her like he could have bit her or something. <laughs> and he said, no, of course not. The reason he faced death, and I've sat with people who are afraid to die, Christians who were afraid to die, the reason he could say no wasn't because of his goodness, but because he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He knew where the victory was. And so I want to encourage us, God has victory over death, sin, over the spiritual realms where we're living. Where we're li that's where we live right now. We are in the spiritual realms. We're in the heavenly realms. He has all power right here. Don't play the coward. Grow in your faith.
If we can help anyone, we're going to ask the elders to come forward as Rodney comes and leads us in an invitation song.